Welcome to the Pair Program from Hatchpad, the podcast that gives you a front row seat to candid conversations with tech leaders from the startup world. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, the creator of Hatchpad. And I'm your other host, Mike Ruin. Join us each episode as we bring together two guests to dissect topics at the intersection of technology, startups, and career growth. The views expressed within this podcast are solely the speakers and do not reflect the opinions and beliefs of any organization or company. So what's up, everyone? We are back for another episode of The Pair Program. Uh, I am your host, Tim Winkler, accompanied by my co-host, Mike Gruen. Mike, you are a space fan, right? Yes. Uh, did you watch the the launch yesterday, the SpaceX uh, Starship launch? No, I did not. Uh, so not a big space not fan. As, not as huge a space <laughs> fan as I once was when I was younger. Okay. Jasmine, I'd imagine you you uh, tuned in. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe it was a good thing that you didn't watch. Yeah, it, so it was a roller coaster ride. I'm not going to lie. My wife and I watched it, and you know we were just so thrilled to see it get off the platform. And, and then I think everybody's reactions were fairly similar of like, oh, is it supposed to be doing backflips? Yeah. <laughs> like multiple backflips, and then just a huge explosion. And I was like, oh, my gosh. No, it was like uh, it was terrifying. I, I was happy and then sad and concerned. I don't know. It, I, yeah, I, there's there's only one or zero. You know, there's only two endings. Right. <laughs> right, but there was nobody on on board. That correct? Was that just a test launch? Correct. There was no one on board. Okay, that was. There was a little... lot of failing fast though. Fast, <laughs> fast failing is important. You know, right. in innovation. So and and, and, and expensive failing. And spectacular. Um, That's right. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty entertaining. It, uh, obviously, it sounds like a, a huge, a huge win in terms of you know that many engines and launching without having the the failure to begin with. But uh, still, some work to be done. Um, well, cool. Well, let's let's give the listeners a heads up on today's episode. So, you know, we are trying to create uh, more awareness for how advanced technology is being injected into the public sector. So specifically defense and, and federal civilian agencies. Um, and we wanted to, you know, we want to approach this from a few different angles. So for example, you know, you might be a technologist, like a, a software engineer or a, a product manager who's worked your entire career in the commercial space, uh, or, or maybe for a commercial startup, and you're looking to transition, you know, your career into the public sector, maybe supporting a, a, a large government contract or a defense project, or you could be a founder uh, of, a, of a small startup who's maybe building your product and delivering your, or, or your service to commercial customers, but now you want to diversify your, your customer base, maybe break into the federal or, or, or defense market. So we wanted to compile like a short mini series of these episodes on the podcast to help bridge this gap. Uh, and so we're kicking it off with today's episode, which we are labeling um, how emerging technologies augment defense innovation initiatives. Uh, so that's a, it's a mouthful. Uh, it's a, it's a, it might sound a little bit confusing. And so in lieu of emerging technologies, I went ahead and plugged this into ChatGPT and just asked it to break this down for me as if I were a five-year-old. And here's what came back. So emerging technologies are new things that people are inventing or discovering. Some of these new things can help the military make better weapons and protect the country better. 
Defense innovation initiatives means that the military is trying to come up with new ideas to be better at their jobs and protect people. They want to use these new technologies to help them do that. So how emerging technologies augment defense innovation initiatives means that new things that people are inventing can help the military come up with better ideas and tools to protect the country. So I'd like to thank ChatGPT for channeling that inner child for us and uh, helping us adults have to not think quite as hard. Um, but uh, to help us really break this down, we, we have a couple of really great guests to help us uh, tackle the topic, both of which have spent years innovating in the defense industry. Uh, Jasmine Furtado uh, is a technical program manager for data and AI within the United States Space Force and Natalie Barrett, a program area manager at Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory. Thank you both for spending some time with us today on the PAIR program. Thanks for having us. Of course, of course. All right, now, uh, before we dive in, uh, we'd like to kick things off with a fun segment that we call Pair Me Up. Pair Me Up. So here's where we all go around the room. We'll shout out a complimentary pairing. Mike, you always kick us off. So what, what do you got for us today? Yeah, so uh, today uh, goes back to the over the weekend. Um, I've been trying to just sort of eat less. Um, this came up before we started recording. Uh, my doctor yelling at me. <laughs> um, so one of the things I, I over the weekend that I noticed was when I'm doing yard work, I can go hours without eating, uh, which is somewhat good. So I went out. So so my pairing is yard work and not eating. Um, I just when hmm. I'm just out there doing whatever. I don't even notice that I'm hungry as opposed to like when I'm sitting at my computer doing my like actual job, like I feel it all the time. It's like, and there's some psychological stuff going on there, but that's my, that's my parent. I feel like I'm opposite actually. I feel like if I'm working out in the yard, I, I just get starving. Um, I mean, I come in starving, but I don't notice uh, okay. it while I'm out there. I can just be, I, whatever it is, whether I'm, Fighting. You don't have access to snacks Correct. while you're in the yard. No, yeah, unless, yeah. yeah, I mean, unless I start eating the bamboo like a panda, because that's that's usually what I'm fighting with. Uh, we have a lot of, lot of. Oh, you've got bamboo. Yeah, you got a bamboo terrible. issue. Yeah, it's terrible. Oof. Oh, that's brutal. <laughs> Tell me you about need to make it. a garden. <laughs> What's that, Jasmine? You need to make a garden. You've got to grow a garden up. Now I just need to slash and burn it and move or something. I don't know. It's, it's, or if you just grow, if you just grow vegetables, you know, then you can kind of uh, two birds, one stone. You can eat healthy <laughs> while you're out there doing your yard work. Yes. There you um, go. All right. We'll, we'll accept that answer. I appreciate um, it. All right. So, so my, my pairing, um, my pairing today is going to be babies and mohawks. Um, so as I've mentioned before on, on previous episodes now, my wife and I, we welcomed our daughter Alice into the world uh, four months ago now. And, you know, whenever we do bath time, you know, Papa gets to play stylist and I get to draw her hair in different uh, styles that I like. So I wanted to experiment uh, with a little mohawk uh, on her and I'll share. Let me see if I can share this picture. Let's you guys see that? <laughs> Pretty good, right? So I will just say that having a baby with a mohawk and walking around with her, um, it gets a ton of praise. People people like it. It's well received by the people. Um, and it's uh, I think it's just a people pleaser. So she's got a lot of compliments and just seems to bring out an element of her little personality. So I'd just say for any listeners out there that have 
babies, give it, give this a shot after bath night. Just wait and see what kind of reactions you receive. Um, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Um, all right, let's pass it off to our guest now. So let's start with, uh, with Natalie. Uh, if you want to give us just a quick intro and then your pairing. Sure. Nat Barrett. Uh, I'm a technologist with a background in electrical and biomedical engineering. I've had the privilege of serving Department of Defense for a very long time now. And uh, probably my favorite programs are related to exoskeletons and brain-computer interfaces to really advance and protect our warfighters. Um, so my pairing is yoga and solitude. As a mom of two, it is one of the only times that I get solitude and the opportunity to really be creative and to let the ideas percolate um, of what's next. Well, that's nice. great. As far as yoga goes, what's like, um, do you have like a, a position that's like your, your go-to that you enjoy the most? So that's a great question. My top is down dog, but my but probably my favorite is called Savasana, uh-huh. where you lay still for minutes. And so it's actually a place where you it's almost like meditation. Um, and you can you can really be calm and the ideas just flow. It sounds like na- like nap time almost. <laughs> <laughs> it's adult nap time. Don't it's tell anyone. Nap time. That's great. Um, I love it. I love it. And also love the the work that you do. That sounds super fascinating. Can't wait to dive into that more. Um, but let's pass it over to Jasmine. How about uh, your intro and uh, and your pairing? Yeah, well, thanks for having us here again. I'm Jasmine Furtado. I have worked a few data and AI initiatives in the Department of Defense, specifically in the Air Force and the Space Force. So um, the my pair today is dogs and sun patches. I just think of <laughs> it's just something in my head. My dog does that a lot, actually, like finding sun patches on the floor. Oh, yeah. And they just like they're just naturally drawn to it. And they just kind of just sit there, just lay there. They don't know anything about what sun, you know, dangers of sunlight. They just <laughs> love the warm. <laughs> and they'll just stay there. And then as the patch moves, they'll also like move with it. So that's oh, awesome. That's a great pairing. That is a great I, pair. I mean, so this is one of my former dogs. He he's no longer with us, but he was an awesome dog. His name was Griffin. And um, he would love a good sunspot. I'd always like go out on my back deck and see him just posted up. Um, it's it's exactly right though. It's like dogs are just drawn to a good sunspot. It's like they know what what's what's comfort. It's a good stuff. That is good stuff. Awesome. All right. Well, good round. Yeah. Um, Although we should know um, no whiskey. I think it's probably the first time in a while that we haven't had any food or, or beverage or anything. That's true. Well, I'm actually drinking a, uh, a cocktail right <laughs> good now. For so, you. Um, yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and transition into the episode. So um, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about innovating in the DOD, which is Department of Defense uh, and other defense related agencies like DARPA, which is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. And I'm going to preface for our listeners, the majority of which are a lot of commercial focused technologists, that your intro uh, to Government 101 lesson is, is that the government loves their acronyms. So you will hear a lot of acronyms uh, throughout this episode, um, but uh, we'll be very mindful of this, make sure that we um, spell out what these are short for. And um, 
you know, we're only going to begin to scratch the surface on this episode, um, but our goal at a high level is to cover a few things. One, we want to paint this picture of the types of problems that like the defense is trying to solve and in what types of technologies that are being used to, to solve these. Um, two, you know, we want to discuss the importance of, of adding competition in this space, right? So, you know, making sure like, you know, commercial is brought in uh, to innovate is a big piece of this conversation, uh, not just keeping it only, you know, companies that are, you know, already tied into the defense space. Um, and then lastly, explain some of these different ways that you can collaborate and partner in this space. So if you are a, a technologist that's looking to get into the, into the industry, how you might explore an opportunity as a career, or if you're a, a founder of a startup, how you might tap into uh, the space from a, a sales perspective, uh, opening up, a, creating a sales channel in these industries. So let's jump in. Uh, there's a lot to talk about. Um, Jasmine, I, I kind of want to start with you. Um, what are some of these kind of large scale problems in tech maybe that you've experienced in, in your career within defense or uh, that are kind of top of mind uh, in, in today's market? Yeah, so to start off, just like with painting that picture, the Department of Defense has a lot of data. So my background has always been on the data side of the house, software side of the house, um, and analytics, artificial intelligence. So use that all as just context. So there, with the amount of data and the amount of systems that we have in the Department of Defense that's collecting data, it's a very complex environment. <laughs> it's very complicated. There are so many things that are collecting information and there's so many people that are doing things with that information. So you can imagine this like jumbled mess of, of data, data pipelines, and you have so many people that can derive value from this information, but it's hard sometimes to pull out what's relevant and it's hard to navigate this such a big ecosystem. So this area is really ripe for innovation. How do we bring more order to the, some of the chaos. And it's not a one size fits all solution. Every unit in the DOD is different. They have different skill sets, they have different, uh, different missions, they have different technology stacks. So there's a lot of different ways to tackle this problem and the, the challenges that we see when it comes to like data and innovation. Uh, we see a lot of innovative efforts popping up as a result of that. So we'll see uh, a lot of innovation hubs that are, for lack of a better term, I'm going to quote unquote that because <laughs> some some groups don't like to be considered innovation hubs and some do. So I'm just going to use a blanket term, um, which is a little bit dangerous in this in this regard. But there are these like groups that have sprung up in the last few years that are focused on quote unquote innovation. And so they are leaning forward in partnering with non-traditional companies. They are leaning forward in practicing more you know, iterative, agile practices. Uh, they're more interested in you know, adopting more emerging technologies. And so they position themselves in areas that have a lot of data. They position themselves in areas and get um, the appropriate infrastructure to be able to do agile, fast software development. So in these areas, there's, there's, I can't even list all the different mission areas because <laughs> uh, there's just so many. But you think from my perspective, Air Force, Space Force, we see a lot of uh, 
tracking, personnel management, um, optimization of processes, um, trying to identify events of interest. Uh, there's a, like any application that you could think of outside the military has the equivalent in the Department of Defense. So that's just to like set the stage a little bit. There's a lot sure. of opportunity here. Yeah, I mean, that's a loaded question. I mean, there's just so much that uh, can still be done, right? Uh, needs to be done. Um, but uh, I think that's a good starting point. Nat, what about yourself? Uh, if you want to maybe piggyback on, on the question and talk a little bit about, um, and you worked at, with DARPA for some time and and then obviously at Johns Hopkins APL, you know, maybe setting the stage for, you know, some of those pro- problems that you all have been tackling as well. That's a great question. One of the things I would really point anyone who's interested in getting into the DOD space is to take a look at the national security strategy, the national intelligence strategy, the space strategy. There's a lot of content that's available and um, publicly available for the you know civilian sector to to consume. One of the things I wanted to, to add to what Jasmine said is that the Department of Defense, in addition to these innovation hubs, has really worked to make contracting easier uh, for emerging companies, startups. So they've made other transaction authority uh, a priority, not just at SOCOM, but now DOD-wide. In addition, they've started what's called the CRADA. I'm sure they're doing that over on the space side too, which is really an unfunded um, cooperative research and development agreement that allows companies who have great ideas to work alongside a DOD partner to really get free input and free coaching as to where to go, what the need is, and how to be successful. Real quick for for folks that maybe aren't familiar, like SOCOM, what what is that an acronym for? Oh, yeah, thank you. So Special Operations Command, I'm a little bit biased. I kind of see them as the tip of the spear. Um, They do everything that the DOD does, but faster, smaller, uh, lower profile, which just means uh, not as spectacular as the launch that happened yesterday, right? So they keep their things very low profile, things Mm. happen uh, very targeted. And so a lot of times what they're trying to achieve is sort of accomplishing something in the most challenging environment, uh, in the most expeditionary way. And so if if you have an idea, you know, looking to SOCOM is a great place to start, because if you can solve something for SOCOM, most likely it will help the entire force of Department of Defense. Mm. And so I'm, I'm learning a lot about this space. So, you know, I'm from the, the DC area and, and our business, we kind of started off, you know, not so much working with some of these more modern, like defense tech customers, but, uh, you know, more of, you know, a lot of web software that's going on in, 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 in the federal space. But, you know, over the last few years, you know, it seems like there's been a, a real big push for, you know, modernizing a lot of defense tech. Um, and so, you know, we've been, kind of tuned into a lot of these, you know, kind of like research agencies, like DARPA's is one that continues to kind of pop up on our radar. And um, for those that maybe aren't familiar, can you, can you highlight or explain like what, what the mission is behind some of these like research agencies like DARPA and DITRA? Yeah. So DARPA, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, their goal is to basically change the course of history when it comes to the Department of Defense. Um, They were founded because of what happened in in 
with Sputnik, uh, the Russians sort of uh, taking our cheese first, and we said, that will never happen again. We will create DARPA. Um, so I know Al Gore said he created the internet. Um, you know, truth be told, DARPA, it was called ARPANET, uh, was the creation of the internet. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one thing just to highlight the COVID rapid test. I had the opportunity of working on a program called the um, HIS program at the time. Um, about 20 years ago, we developed this capability and it has become the COVID rapid test. And so that was through DARPA. It was to be an expeditionary medical testing device for our operators in the field. And so one thing to highlight, everything at DARPA, the intent is to first benefit DOD but they definitely under Stephanie Tompkins see the need to ensure that entrepreneurs are part of that ecosystem, if mm -hmm. not the critical piece to the point that she's actually created what's called the EEI. So if you search up EEI at DARPA, you'll find the embedded entrepreneurship initiative, which is an effort so that if you develop a program or you develop a technology under a DARPA program and it's successful, she will give you potentially $250,000 to make short transitions into an actual product that you can market. When yeah, you, that, yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say, it's, that's a, um, a very good example of, you know, somebody who's trying to, to get their foot in the door. You know, I almost equate it to like pre-seed funded startup, right? It's, it's like these smaller kind of grants and, and uh, initiatives that are designed to help fuel that, innovation for those folks that are just trying to get something off the ground or, or, you know, break, break into a space where you can kind of use, you know, this customer base to test something out. Uh, I think it's a really, uh, fantastic, uh, you know, marriage of, of trying to inject commercial innovation into, you know, these larger regulated spaces that maybe are a lot more challenging to navigate. So I love, I love that initiative. Uh, I think it's really, really great. Sorry, I, I cut you off. Uh, no, that's okay. And, you know, she's the DARPA has even gone to the point of creating consortiums of cyber companies and uh, effort called, uh, I want to call it the, say it's the uh, collaboration effort, but I think it's actually called Constellation. Mm -hmm. And in this Constellation, they have selected a set number of cyber companies that come together and work together constantly over time to develop advanced cyber tools for cyber command. Uh, another another very unique um, capability that DARPA is working on. And so I would say DARPA is really opening their scope of what they call innovation. Um, and, you know, if you have an idea, they always have what's called an open, broad agency announcement. So you can put any idea in there at any time. It doesn't have to, you know, be solicited. Mm. It's fascinating. Um, it's it kind of uh, leads me down the path. And Jasmine, you were kind of uh, touching on this as well when you were explaining a little bit more of of how folks might gain access into into this innovation. And you referenced these innovation hubs or these innovation labs. And you um, have you know worked with with a few in in the past. Uh, Kessel Run sounds like this was one of those environments. Um, can you talk a little bit about how these operate? Um, you know, we, you know, in the, in the commercial startup space, right, there's oftentimes these venture studios. And, and I don't know if that's kind of parallel to this, uh, but if you can kind of explain a little bit more and dive a little bit deeper into how they operate and then, you know, how uh, someone might explore a partnership through one of these hubs or labs. 
Yeah, so there are a lot of different types of flavors in the sense of innovation hubs. Uh, Kessel Run is an actual unit. It's a like a program, it's a um, program office that has a, a budget and they have a mission. And so they are doing organic software development to meet the needs of that mission. So they have uh, people like military members, civilians that are building code to meet the needs of our warfighters. And there are other um, innovation hubs that are, are, you know, working on different mission areas throughout the departments. There's also things that are more associated or tied to like research, like space, uh, space camp, for example. They're tied with air, the Air Force Research Labs. And they are built, they're also a software development organization, but they're not, they're, they're, they're associated through AFRL. There's also these groups like Spaceworks, AFWorks that are really more focused on bringing small businesses, non-traditional businesses and technology and fast tracking them or finding ways to inject them into those types of units, say, you know, like Kessel Renzi's Innovation Hubs or just mm -hmm. other units that are a little bit more traditional and try to modernize them. So they're depending on your product and depending on your your business model, you you can find multiple ways in to work with the Department of Defense. So I always look at these like areas like AFWorks, SpaceWorks, the SBIR, the small business um, in wait, <laughs> small business innovation innovation research or innovative research i don't know which of the two and then the um s uh sttr which is like the small business like technology transition um oh gosh the, the acronyms I need to this is why up. they have acronyms so you don't have to remember all the long names <laughs> i know and i just like i always like forget them it's like yeah now what is it the cyber um sbir um, small business innovation research. I'm just looking. That's at right. And then small business technology transfer. That's SBTT, I guess. So those are two ways that small businesses can uh, get on contract with the Department of Defense to uh, build a technology that may be more emerging, and mm -hmm. then go through multiple phases to eventually get to a mature enough state where you can more closely partner in a more operational way with a unit. That's fascinating. So yeah, I've, I've been, you know, trying to educate myself a bit more on this too, and talking to folks that are participating on these um, SBIR kind of initiatives. Uh, and they, like you mentioned, they break them down into phases and each phase you're kind of given a small chunk of cash to hit a milestone. Is that right? So like phase one, you've got four months to, this prototype kind of to a certain stage. And then once it's kind of been proven at that point, it's almost like that another round of funding comes for phase two. Is that, is that how it works? Yeah. And you don't have to necessarily start in phase one. You could start at any of these phases. It just depends on the maturity of your technology, okay. uh, but you basically apply based off the criteria for each of those phases. You apply for uh, the, the contracts. And if you can find a use case 
uh, within the Department of Defense, which is generally pretty easy to find, mm-hmm. although the actual people is another story. Um, but like the the concept of, oh, this could be valuable to the Department of Defense is usually something that can be found. Um, and then it's just a matter of finding the unit and the people to champion it within the Department of Defense. And that's like another hurdle. Hmm. Yeah. And we'll include all, all of this in our show notes because there's a lot of things that are getting thrown around here that are actually super valuable. I, I've, you know, just from doing my disco calls with both of you all, I, I took a ton of notes and went down the rabbit hole of, of research. So like AF works, right? It's W-E-R-X. Is that, is that accurate? It's A-F-W-E-R-X. And that'll take you down a whole nother path of, of areas of, of, you know, these innovation hubs. So um, we'll include all that in the show notes. Um, Before we transition to the next point, Mike, I was curious, you know, you've been in tech in this area for some time. Did you ever, uh, you know, participate down, you know, the public sector path? Did you ever work for a government contractor or any, anything along those lines? Yeah, all of the above. So a couple companies ago, well, now a few companies ago, uh, we were doing, uh, it was national language processing. uh, And then uh, there was a big, uh, InQtel investment in us uh, that got us into the NSA and with um, CIA, NSA, FBI um, trying to track down uh, using natural language processing to find bad guys, uh, potentially terrorists, um, both foreign and domestic. Um, so that was, you know, and that was a, I'm curious uh, to our guests, like, um, is InQtel somebody who works with DOD or is that strictly Intel community? I, you know, I would definitely encourage anyone to go work or to put in a business plan in QTEL. Um, you know, our IC and DOD are, are well connected and, and play in kind. And so any, any technology that any technology trade show that you see that comes up that in QTEL is hosting, I would go right. The right. same thing with soft week, I would go. Yeah. Um, those are opportunities to you know, like Jasmine said, it's hard to find the people go to the events where they actually present themselves and and go chat with them. Another one is SOCOM has uh, a TE event, which is their technical experimentation event. Another place where you can go and showcase your work and have actual operators or warfighters come and assess them. And yeah, back to your question too. There was another, I mean, that InQtel has been my means in at three companies where they were the ones who sort of took, made the introduction. They saw what we were doing, what our technology was. Uh, there was a different company I worked at um, where we were looking for um, inside risk, inside threat, bad actors, those types of things. Um, and we're able to, again, it was uh, InQtel made some introductions into for us and uh, also made an investment. Um, for those that don't know, maybe um, one of you could uh, set, sort of say what InQtel is, because um, I'll just butcher it, because I only know from the having received the funds. <laughs> Um, or am I putting you on the spot? I, I apologize. I'm, I can, I can, I mean, so they're a venture firm, right? Yeah. That is specific to funding, uh, companies and giving them a, a leg into, uh, you know, defense industries. They, they kind of fund companies that are impacting defense and, and defense agencies. I, I think mostly CIA. Yeah, and I would augment that. Right. Well, mostly Intel agencies. So they're also connected to another organization we haven't mentioned, which is IARPA, Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Agency. Mm. So, you know, I often encourage folks to apply to both, uh, submit 
ideas to both of those broad agency announcements. Um, you know, the, the broader you submit your concepts or your business plans, the more likely you are to hear back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so take advantage of, of all of those. You know, we mentioned a couple of the works. There is an umbrella called Soft uh, Defense Works. If you go to the Defense Works website, you can sign up to get access to all of the works and to get updates on when they might have demonstration events or other events where they talk about their capability or their opportunities. And and so just a piece about that, the opportunities through Defense Works are that they're often given funding by uh, the Air Force or SOCOM or some other entity to work with a startup and through this OTA construct. And these other transaction authorities, you can actually get a ceiling on your contract, which allows you to uh, receive funding to that level. Mm-hmm. So anytime you have a contract or an OTA, um, that definitely gives you an advantage. So so definitely take the time, sign up for things like Defense Works. The other one is NDIA, another great place where you can actually meet people um, and talk to them and make those human to human connections. Good stuff. I want to jump to the next topic on this um, uh, that we we're going to try to cover here. So this was. Um, centered around the importance of creating competition in the space. So there's a a term called vendor lock um, uh, is something that's been referenced in the industry. Jasmine, can you maybe expand on this and why this is is vital, especially for commercial technology and, and startups that are in the space? Yeah, so to what I was mentioning before, when we were laying out the content, uh, like the bigger background of the whole thing, I mean, the DoD is huge, right? There are just so many use cases. And there's, like I said, not one size fits all solution. Um, what we see in the software realm is an opportunity to have multiple solutions to a problem in a way that is a little bit easier than before. Um, you don't have as high barrier to entry to enter into the space if you were more hardware centric. So if we're looking at software, we're really looking for uh, more um, modularity when it comes to our solutions. It's easier to break a problem up in, in theory when you're dealing with software. So when we're looking for solutions and for the DoD, it's really a ripe place to find things that are um, that are easily interoperable with other technologies things that you can plug in and out because mm-hmm. what we've seen in the past is when we're dealing with really hardware centric solutions we're we're stuck with a solution we can't you know replace something very easily if we find that something's not working well for us with software we can do that so we really need competition these small businesses at the table to be able to compete because they add to that, um, or that they add to the environment, and they allow us to have the best solutions out there. Uh, instead of just having to focus on like you know one vendor doing everything, we can find the best of breed to make up our defense industrial base. Yeah, well said. Um, there was a, a, a subtopic on this when we were kind of brainstorming uh, that was also kind of going down the path of zero trust security model. So also known as zero trust architecture. Um, can you explain what that is and, and why that's why that's so important? 
Yeah, so the concept of zero trust is that we create a um, ecosystem of technologies and tools that can interop be interoperable with each other in a very secure way, an easy way. It's to add to the simplicity of um, the ecosystem. So if we have like a if we have a t like a few big software systems um, that we just you know dive into the system and that you can do a ton of stuff in the space that's great but if we try to break it up into pieces it's hard to uh, it's hard to deconstruct it's hard to like uh, move it's hard to move between different tools what we want is the ability to log into our network in the in the dod log into a network and have access to all the tools available and have the authentication and security protocols in between each of these tools to easily navigate between each of them and that makes up that zero trust model so everything that's in the network is modular enough so that they can interact with every other uh, system in the network in an easy, seamless way. So you don't need to log in 50 times to get access to your data and your data is not super siloed in, in like one location or another and it's not difficult to access it. So the idea of zero trust is to create this ecosystem of easy access, easy interoperability in a secure way. Mm. So, yeah. That, that was super clear for me, Mike. I know that you and I had kind of riffed on that briefly before as well, but you know, just coming from the commercial startup space, I mean, it is something that's pretty also like common knowledge on your, uh, you know, in that, in that world. Uh, it's hard for me to say common knowledge. I mean, my last company was a cybersecurity training company. So for me, it feels very common knowledge, Sure, um, but we had, you know, uh, we had to do a lot of education about, uh, what, what zero trust means and how you, you know, this idea that like you don't, it's a complex idea, I think, for people to, to get a hold of. Um, but we are seeing in the commercial space, there's lots of places. I think it's actually easier in some, like when you're a startup, it's actually easier to start that way with this idea of like a zero trust model where people are authenticating, but then you sort of, each system is responsible for its own security. There's not, you don't, and that's how you sort of build these things up. It's It came up a lot in the pandemic when like you went from, I think a good example for people who might, get this is um, when the pandemic hit and people started working from home, it started becoming a problem because now all of these systems that were sort of theoretically secure because they're inside the company's network. Now we're working from home. How do you give people access to those things? So it's really pushing a lot of the security to the edges. And so that it's not like this idea of like this sort of hardened outside perimeter. And once I'm inside, then I'm trusted and I don't have to authenticate again. It's really pushing it out so that all of the different systems are constantly challenging. It's it's like this idea of like, we don't trust you uh, when we're going to constantly confirm that you are who you say you are. We're going to constantly confirm that you have access to the things you have access to, but it's all done at the software side. It's not, it's not as, you know, as Jasmine's saying, it's not, we're going to force you to log in all of the time. Um, there's got to be a way to, mm -hmm. to sort of authenticate once, but um pushing that all out. And that's what allows people to work from home without a VPN. Um, and that's, you know, I think smaller companies, startups, um, so much is SaaS that it's actually, there's no difference between working in an office and working uh, at home for a lot of places. We don't have, you know, we don't have a rack of servers in the, in the network closet anymore. Mm -hmm. Now we just have basically just networking gear um, to provide internet to the office. Um, so that's sort of, mm -hmm. hopefully that helped a little bit. Um, but yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Cool. Yeah. Um, Nat, I think we kind of skipped over this too, but I, I do want to um, quickly backtrack because you know you work at Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab, and an area that you know you know this is a university um, that uh, you is another uh, outlet that we see you know partnering to innovate in in the in the defense space. Can you maybe uh, just kind of quickly paint how that happens through through that? kind of outlet um, and name drop a couple of the big ones that are out there that are are impacting in the space? Sure. Anytime that you can come across a university and team with them, um, it's always a great opportunity. Uh, Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab, you know, you look at the work that we do with NASA, we're always working with many companies. Um, you also look at what we're doing in, in the innovation spaces. So, for example, um, one of the programs was an advanced prosthetics program uh, with the brain-computer interface work. And, and in that, that was a consortium of multiple companies and universities. So the benefit of working with a university is that they're very collaborative. Their intent is to be collaborative. Their, invent, their intent is to really advance technology and not to compete in the way that you traditionally think. And so that's why people love to, to work with our national labs as well. That's another great opportunity. Sandia does that a lot. Um, Lincoln Labs, MIT Lincoln Labs is another great opportunity. They have many events that you can attend um, that are open to the public. And so, you know, anytime that that you see a university like a JPL and APL, um, Penn State is great at this as well. Virginia Tech, I think, too, does... They Virginia have, Tech has yeah. an ARL. And so they'll release, we'll all release um, our own solicitations on occasion. And so cool. to be aware that those solicitations can also come, and that's an opportunity for you to work with sort of a bigger, more known entity in some cases, where there's going to be full trust. Um, you know, the, the labs have thousands, if not millions of NDAs. And, and that's because they are they're extremely well trusted in the community to only advance technology. They're never, they know they are known entities to protect your IP. Mm. But it's an interesting thought of, um, you know, if you're just trying to get your foot in the door, right. Say you're an alumni of, of Virginia tech, you know, this could be a great outlet for you to kind of like, you know, use that to your advantage and just, you know, help to, get a conversation started or, or get connected with somebody who maybe is, is connected. Um, you know, as far as networking goes, I mean, it's, it's truly, it's just super important. Um, if you have no expertise or no, no reach, uh, into the space, you know, just kind of like leaning into something that gives you a common connection is something we always recommend. Um, so I'm going to, um, I'm going to uh, kind of wrap with a couple of a question for each of you and I'm going to paint this kind of picture and, and we'll, you know, some of this might be a little bit of a repeat of some of the things we covered, but we'll, we'll see if we can summarize the answer briefly. So Natalie, I'm going to start with you and let's pretend that you know, you're kind of set up uh, uh, at a booth at a defense tech career fair and Mike and I approach you as candidates. Mike's a software engineer in a commercial space for years. I'm a product manager in the commercial space and, and we both approach you and, and we say, you know, we're, we're brand new to the defense space. You know, we've, uh, maybe we've, maybe we've uh, fallen victim to a layoff or something in the commercial side. And we want to, we want to break into the defense space. It seems like maybe there's, there's some stability here. Uh, we have no idea where to start in, in pursuing opportunities. You know, what would you, 
recommend to us and, and maybe how to navigate a, a you know a career opportunity in, in, in that space. Um, again, a bit loaded, uh, but you know, what would you say to us, you know, to, to kind of just get the ideas flowing? Yeah. Um, I would, I would encourage you to look at three organizations first, um, to go look at NSF. We haven't mentioned the, the national science foundation, the defense advanced research projects agency are the, are really two of the tops in addition to us special operations command. All three have very broad, broad agency announcements and they want to hear your ideas. The nice thing about those three organizations is that that they are all interconnected across DOD, the IC, DOE, um, and they actually share technologies across themselves. So, you know, certainly look at those BAs. I would also say go to their events. They all host events. You know, the more time you can get face-to-face with people. Again, I love NDIA because they they bring people to you. You just sign up and you go. But then whenever you can team with a university, it's a safe place to start, especially if you can find a national lab or a university affiliated research center, which is what like Maryland Arliss and APL, JHU APL. These are organizations whose intent is really to advance innovation in a trusted way um, to enable the best for the country. So that's what I would recommend. I also recommend keeping the conversation going with folks like myself as you as you meet people who are in the know. You know, we're all working to the same goal to protect the nation, to protect our people. Cool. I think one of the agencies you met or one of the departments uh, that you mentioned uh, that first came up was uh, DOE, Department of Energy. I think people forget how much of their mission is around security as well. They have mm-hmm. some uh, some systems that they need secured. So um, another good one up there with the rest of them to, to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll flip this over to Jasmine too. So, um, a little, little bit of a, a similar scenario here, but instead of Mike and I being, you know, candidates looking for, for new roles, uh, let's just say we're co-founders, uh, of a cyber product, um, and a startup. And you know, primarily we've been working with, you know, larger com- commercial fortune 500s, uh, and now we're trying to pivot, you know, from a little bit outside of all commercial and trying to get our, our products positioned to, to serve defense. How might me, how might Mike and I want to navigate these waters? Like what kind of options are out there for us? Yeah. Well, first I would commend you for wanting to enter into the defense space. <laughs> it is not, it is not for the. It was Mike's idea. <laughs> it certainly wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, it's not for the faint of heart, but the, the mission is so important and we need people like you to be in this space and add our, to our competitive advantage. Uh, I would say that they're, you know, the DOD is really big. What's great is that a lot of these units are, they have websites that you can go to to learn more about like the mission space. I mean, Wikipedia is also <laughs> a place as well to like try, try to um, navigate the the, the DOD, it's, it's, it's a lot to cover, but I would say really know your value proposition and own how it could be dual use of how it can, you know, how it's obviously serving your clientele now, but how it could be used in the DOD and that, you know, reach out to people in the DOD and, you know, everyone knows other people. So, um, be, get comfortable getting to know the people within the department of defense. 
Um, there's so much opportunity that you may not even know. I mean, we mentioned a few in the in the uh, in the call. So we talked about you know the small business, innovative research, like the Cibber process. Looking at that, you can QTEL all these different agencies. Look at those events that they have going on and their calls. Of, like they will post what they are looking for. Um, these. Uh, organizations are constantly posting the needs of the Department of Defense. So just take a look on there, see if anything, you know, if there's any gaps that you can see off of those sites that you can fill. But there's also like units that just have like front doors, like they just will have like, I know Space Systems Command has just a front door process for all small businesses that want mm. to work with the Space Force. So there's a lot of different processes. It's just a matter of just reaching out to someone, um, LinkedIn, find someone mm -hmm. that you think is in a position that resonates with your company or is in a unit that's related to um, your company. So um, network, reach out. I mean, we're, we're a big organization, but we all know each other in one way or another. So um, really excited for you to be in the space and uh, look forward to having you. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, you know, so just in full transparency as well, you know, we, you know, we were primarily just helping commercial startups, um, you know, with a lot of talent initiatives uh, for years. And in the last seven, eight months, you know, just kind of seeing a little bit of the instability in the commercial startup space, you know, you know, as a founder, I was like, look, we need to protect ourselves. We're, we're going to dive into some of this defense work. And so what I started doing, I started to, one, use our community as a, as a tool to, to create more awareness and make connections and, and start to, you know, meet folks like you, like you all. But then two, I just, I just cold emailed DARPA uh, directly and it was actually their um, e emerging um, entrepreneurship initiatives uh, subdivision and just kind of let them know, like, this is how we're innovating and helping on the commercial side. I think we could really help some of those companies that are, that are, uh, you know, you're breeding, uh, out of DARPA, uh, and would love to just kind of explore a conversation. And they got, I got a response fairly quickly. I was surprised. Um, scheduling the first discussion has been a little <laughs> bit of a, a snafu, but we're getting there. Um, but I will say like they're open and, and there is a, a want, I think that's the theme I want to communicate is that, uh, there is a clearly an, a known like gap that needs to be fixed and they're open to fixing that. So um, now is a great time to take that step. And um, yeah, just, you know, it might be uncomfortable because you don't know enough about it, but um, everybody seems very helpful and like wanting to educate because they know that it's for the greater good for a country. Um, so um, I'm going to close with that. I think this was helpful. Uh, I think we've, we've got a couple of other episodes that we're going to build on this. I'm excited to bring some other perspectives into the mix that may be coming from like digital consultancies that are, you know, helping build, you know, big software projects for uh, in the federal space too. Uh, we talked a lot about defense on this one. Um, and, and I think this is a, a hairy one. This is a, a pretty tricky one to navigate, but this is helpful to, to at least get the, um, yeah, the initial blocks, uh, going. Um, all right. So, uh, a segment that I, I love, um, we're, we're going to jump into, this is the five second scramble. So, um, we're not going to be super brutal on you all. We don't have like a buzzer where we're going to buzz you if you exceed your five seconds to, to answer. Um, but try to keep it brief, uh, if possible, uh, it'll be a mix of, uh, of rapid fire business and, and some personal, uh, Natalie, we're going to start with, um, with you and then Jasmine, we'll get to you. Um, are we ready? 
Ready. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, what problems are you solving at Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab? Uh, we're solving problems um, related to big data for public health information, trying to make sure that all warfighters, as they transition out of the military, have their entire personal health information um, uh, data set. And we are trying to make sure that as they transition, they transition well to other big data efforts um, in health places like Epic. You think about my chart, you know, any any uh, warfighter as a transition that should transition well. We also think about what the insights are that you could gather if you actually had your entire personal health information data set. Uh, we talk about PHI personal health information, but how many of us actually have our own PHI or a copy of it? Um, so I think a great place to start is with the warfighters. Um, the DOD does have those pieces of information, and it's a great environment to help move the nation to a place where, uh, or to a precedent of each individual having a copy of their own personal health information. What, what type of technologist thrives um, in your environment? I love that question. I would say all types of technologists and, and engineers. We need all kinds in this space, which is why Jasmine said, like, if you're an engineer, if you're an innovator, we just need you. What professional advice would you give your younger self just starting your career? Get your PhD as soon as you graduate. <laughs> Don't delay an education. Wow, that's loaded. All right. Um, what do you love most about yourself? Uh, I love that I can laugh at myself. That's great quality. What's your favorite type of bagel? An everything bagel. Cause I can never choose. I just want it all. That's the right answer. Um, <laughs> what is the worst fashion trend that you've ever followed? I think in the MC Hammer pants, uh, <laughs> when I was little, um, my grandmother made me MC Hammer pants with a jumpsuit. Like, so when those came together, that was just, wow. Um, <laughs> I think we renamed them the Piazza, Palazzo pants. Not any better. I've got a, I got a good visual. Um, uh, what is a charity or corporate philanthropy that's near and dear to you? Um, my favorite is Beyond Rhetoric. It is an organization that works with our imprisoned youth um, to help make sure that they seem they are um, they are seen and heard. Wow, that's really cool. What was the name of it? The organization? Yeah, it's called Beyond Rhetoric. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll we'll include that in the show notes. I like that. Um, do you believe there's life on other planets? Absolutely. How could there not be? Yeah, I had a feeling that was going to be your answer. Um, what is the number one country that you would recommend everyone travel to once in their life? I think we should all make it to Australia uh, at least once to see Sydney and to appreciate the diversity of that environment. I think the way that they treat their indigenous population is unique and highly valuable. Um, so definitely put that on your bucket list. Cool. All right. Well done. You passed with flying colors. That was great. Um, Jasmine, you've got some big shoes to fill here. Oh, wait, do I get the same questions? Oh, no, they're completely different. 
<laughs> if you, in case you were taking notes. I was like, uh, okay. I was hoping that it'd be similar. I was like, great, what would I do? No, okay. All right. Th- great, there's some good. overlap. Some overlap. Okay. We'll say. Okay. All right. Um, what problems are you solving at Space Force? So right now, there's a really big digital innovation push in Space Force. We have a ton of data, and we're trying to figure out how to make that easily accessible um, to everyone in the Space Force, trying to make things as open as possible and secure as possible. So it's the lifelong uh, challenge of bringing data together so that you could disseminate it out very easily. So it's a big challenge, um, and it's a really exciting time for the Space Force. Awesome. What would you say is one of the biggest challenges that fa- that startup founders will face in 2023? Oh, I just got anxiety. I don't know about you. <laughs> There's so <Yeah>. many. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, one that's like top of mind for me is just differentiating yourself in this like age, this budding age of AI and generative AI that we find ourselves in. Uh, There's going to be a real big distinction between companies that really embrace that and companies that don't. So that's, I would say, the biggest challenge is figuring out how to embrace those technologies and integrate them into your product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. and I like that it wasn't just the the layup answer. I, I was thinking uh, access to capital as well. Um, but uh, I think that's uh, that can go without saying at this point. Um, what um, what is your favorite aspect of working uh, with Space Force? My favorite aspect is the the potential. And it's just so exciting. There's so much to be done, and it's this like area, right? It's this place the final frontier situation. Mm. It's just such an exciting place to be. So I just love that there's a lot of opportunity and there's there's like no precedence for what a space force is supposed to look like. So that is the most exciting piece. It's just the the novelty of it all. That's so cool. I, I remember when it first came out too and people were like, Space Force, what is this? You know, like uh and now I think people are like, damn, that's cool. Yeah, everyone um, that's part of it can define what it means. Yeah. All right. Um, what is a charity or corporate philanthropy that's near and dear to you? I have, uh, I'm a co-founder of my own nonprofit uh, called Vesper. We provide educational support to uh, conflict areas in the Philippines, Ethiopia. So that's one that's near and dear. It's uh, something that I started when I was in college uh, because there was a huge typhoon that hit the Philippines, Typhoon Yolanda, and it devastated so many of the smaller areas and the places that were really hard to get to for multiple reasons. So with my nonprofit, I worked to remove some of those barriers to get educational support to those areas that are uh, hit by conflict, whether that be environmental or with people. Wow, that's awesome. What, what was the name of it again? So we'll, we'll make sure we include that. Vesper. Very neat. All right. This is a, uh, a very lighthearted transition here. So what is your favorite cereal? <laughs> Fruity Pebbles. <laughs> oh, strong. Um, <laughs> would you rather vacation on, on the moon or, or on Mars? Ooh. I think on Mars. It seems a little warmer. <laughs> Just because... <laughs> Awesome. 
Um, do you have a celebrity doppelganger? Um, a celebrity doppelganger is oh Sarah Highland. Okay, I don't. I, that's I can't. I can't think of any other than that. Tim Google Sarah Highland. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but yes, I will Google that later. But we'll yeah, we'll take your word for it. Um, do you have any phobias or irrational fears? Yes. Um, I have a phobia of clavicles. Hmm. I, I I don't like feeling things like touching my clavicle. I don't like seeing like exposed clav. I have a thing with clavicles. It's interesting. It is very irrational and very odd. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. Another lighthearted transition. Would you rather have a pet dragon or a pet unicorn? A pet dragon. Cool. That's just so cool. It is cool. What is your favorite Disney character? Oh my gosh, I was just at Disneyland yesterday. Um, oh no, that is hard. Mm-hmm. That is very hard. I'm thinking of Moana right now. Oh, nice. Yeah. Great soundtrack sure. too. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. I got to ask the room, Nat, what's yours? Do you have a favorite Disney character? Um, I don't, I don't know either. I was thinking the girl in Brave, but I don't know her name. Okay. I think that's a great, a great character. It uh, looks like Thomas just let us know. <laughs> uh, her here. name is Marita. I don't think so. Oh, that's no, maybe no. his. Oh, that's Mike? yours. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, Mike, what about you? I mean, I'd have to cheat because uh, now that Disney owns uh, Star Wars, it'd be Han Solo. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty, that's a good answer. That's a pro. That's a pro answer because you've heard this I before. Know. I was going <laughs> to yeah. say that's like I mean, almost. Is it really? I mean, it's not- it's, yes, I have heard it before, but I'm not a big Disney like the other the Disney cartoons, <laughs> the other Disney properties uh, fan. So I know. Is that like OG Disney? That's not <laughs> right. So it is Marita. Mar- it is Marita. Yeah. All right. Cool. See, All I'm right. super detail oriented. <laughs> Just. Clearly, you know, love and the details. So why we have a producer that just fact checks everybody uh, <laughs> to make sure to make sure. So good. Um, all right, y'all. This was this was a blast. Thank you so much for for uh, joining us and and being great guests. And um, yeah, we look forward to. Uh, you know, building more awareness on how to best you know marry commercial tech and and defense. Uh, so I just wanted to thank you both for for hanging out with us on the Hatchpad. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank it's you so, so important. Much. Thanks so much. Awesome.